Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 83. How's everybody's week normal as usual? Oh, it's a normal week. Seems normal. Seems, you know, I mean, it's most weeks, right? That there's an attempted coup. The world's on fire. On the federal government. The world's on fire. The world's on fire. Guys, it is Friday when we're recording this. So who knows what's happening on Monday when this comes out. But uh, we did just want to acknowledge that things are crazy. You know, I woke up on... Uh, what's today? Wednesday morning? Yeah. When was the election. With and a I, pep in my step, in a blue Georgia. <laughs> and I just, I, told, I mean, I was like walking around the house like, Ben, doesn't it feel great to be here in DeKalb County? <laughs> I texted friends, oh, what a beautiful day today yeah. is. What a gorgeous morning. I went for a yeah. long walk and then I came back and the fucking world's on fire. It was just a real yin and yang. So I know. I just like, I mean, the day of, uh, like, I was glued to the news. And then the mm-hmm. next day, I had to, like, keep working, you know? And so I just kept going about my business and um, doing my job. And then I saw all these people posting, like, that, like, memes, like, that feeling when your boss asks you to do something on with there's a fucking coup. And I'm like, yeah, yeah why am I working right now? <laughs> Because you're like, always working. I know. Like, why am I? I know. Yeah, I know. I, I hope that you guys are uh, taking care of yourselves and your mental and emotional health, and that maybe this will give you a little bit of a break from sitting in front of the news, because <laughs> I know it is giving me a little bit of a break from sitting in front of the news. I was like, I should turn off the alerts on my phone, the, yeah. like news alerts, because it's like every five seconds, I'm like, <gasps> like my heart rate is going up. My anxiety is is deepening. <laughs> we'll try to make this episode as lighthearted as possible. Yep. Uh, we'll do it. Guys. Should we get in? Should we get into our quickies? Let's do it. Let's do it. You're first. Okay. So my quickie for this week is another fun listicle. You know, I love a good listicle. I do too. We haven't had a listicle in a while. I know. And it came at the right time, just when we mm-hmm. needed some just like fodder. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's not to say that the person that wrote this article didn't put a lot of work into it, but it's a <laughs> it's an article for Cosmopolitan UK uh-huh. by Catriona Harvey Jenner about 10 of the worst marriage proposals. Um, which were all submitted by Reddit users. Now we have done, I think it was on our first or second episode, we did a story about a man that faked his own death Yeah, before proposal. He um, got even the police involved and staged this horrific car wreck and made it look like his dead body was laying in the ground. And then his girlfriend ran up hysterical (laughs) crying and he was like, surprise, (laughs) surprise with like a red balloon, a Mylar balloon. Yeah, that's right. Surprise, Let's get married. And she she said, yes, yes. Yeah. So that to me was one of the, probably the worst one. Now I also have a story about for me personally, the worst non-proposal I ever received. 
Okay. From my own husband. <laughs> um, now, when he did finally propose, it was very nice and it was unexpected and I was surprised. Yeah. But about a couple of years before that proposal, we were in and we had already been together probably about mm, two two and a half years at this point when we decided to take a European vacation. And uh-huh. we went to London and Paris. We did the whole hostel thing because we were very poor, but we had a great time. And so anyway, we were standing there as the sun is setting under the Eiffel Tower, uh-huh. um, staring off into the sunset. And Zach and we're like just sitting there hugging. Yeah. And then like, every- can you believe we're here and in love and in Paris? The world was perfect. And then my husband, not my husband at the time, decides to say to me, you didn't think I was going to propose to you on this trip, did you? (laughs) What? (laughs) Record scratch. I was like, no, I'm it. Like, talk about a mood breaker. I was just like, I did the whole chick that I like pushed him off of me. I was like, no, oh my God, why would you even say that to me right now? Are you kidding me? I don't ever want to marry you. <laughs> and then it totally changed the mood of the, um, the trip. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I would say that was the worst not proposal. But um, <laughs> did I, I ever tell you about how I broke up with like a longtime boyfriend in college? I was studying abroad in Scotland and I had like a three week spring break. And so he came over. He was like already had graduated and was working and he came over and we traveled all over Europe and we got to Venice, the most romantic place in the world. And we're sitting and we're looking at the gondolas and the canals. And I was like, I think we need to break up. (laughs) (laughs) See, it's funny when you do it though, Sally. (laughs) (laughs) We're full of double standards over here on Dumb Love. Yep. No, yeah. you're you're the worst. Oh yeah, I was the worst. <laughs> He's he, he is he is lucky to have escaped me. Well, you weren't for him. I wasn't for him. Yeah. See, I stuck around and I ended up marrying mine. I was like, the hell you won't fucking marry me. I will make you marry me. <laughs> you it works. Marry me. It works. <laughs> See, it works. Ladies, yeah, just keep like after a, him. I like a challenge. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to read all 10, but I did pull up my favorite ones that were on here that I thought were pretty, pretty special. Let's just say. This guy wrote in and he said, my wife says the way I proposed was a traumatic experience and she wishes that I had done something a bit different. She was six, yeah. She was six months pregnant with our first child. We were living in our first shared crappy apartment, ready to go to a fair. And then he wrote in parentheses why I didn't do it at the fair or something. I couldn't tell you. (laughs) And then he said, what I did do was morosely tell her that there was something we needed to talk about. I sat her down and proceeded to tell her that there was something bugging me in the relationship. And the way I see it, there's only one way to fix it. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Will you marry me? (laughs) He said she genuinely thought that I was breaking up with her and leaving her stuck with a child to raise on her own before those last words came out. She started crying and eventually hit me and said, (laughs) yes, I'm a lucky man to have her. I just wish I could have asked her in a little different way. 
Yeah. Yeah. I probably wouldn't have done that. <laughs> you mean said yes? <laughs> probably both. Yeah. Probably both. Yeah. Look, it's, you know, it's like not everybody has that romantic bone. Well, this next guy definitely, definitely didn't. Uh, this, well, this guy's talking about his dad. He said, the way my dad proposed to my mom, it just happened randomly. Dad, how much weight do you think you can lose by September? Mom, <laughs> wait, what? Dad, I was thinking we could have the wedding then. And then he said he's not no- known for having a lot of tact. I can't believe she still married him. I would punch him right in the face. I know. <laughs> Oh, my God. This one says, my dad's method was pretty bad. He was supposed to pick my mom up from work on his motorcycle, and he was late. She was pissed and chewed him out the entire way home. When they got home, he was fuming and said something along the lines of, you want to know why I'm fucking late? Here. And slammed on the box with the ring in it. He had been late (laughs) because he was picking it out. (laughs) I learned this when I told my parents I was going to propose to my girlfriend and was told I should not, under any circumstances, try that method myself. (laughs) (laughs) I did that to Zach one time when I think I told the story on the podcast. He told me that he couldn't pick up the kids from school. So I had to come home early to take to pick up the kids from school when they were in preschool. So pickup was like at like one o'clock. Yeah. And so I came home and Zach was like just sitting on the couch watching TV. And I was like, what? Because he told me he had to like drive to Alabama for work or something. Yeah. And I was like, are you, where is she? Where is she? <laughs> 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 he fucking lied to me. And like, you're just sitting here watching TV. And like, you didn't know I was going to come home at this point. What do you do? And I like flipped out and totally thought the worst. And then all of a sudden, Zach brought out this bicycle that he bought me for our anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, and the moral of that story is don't ever fucking lie to me, even if you're buying me a bicycle. Like, pick a different time to get your fucking bicycle. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Pick up the bicycle on your own time. Yeah. Don't make me have to come home from work. Okay. This person said, I proposed to my wife using the police. I had her get pulled over, and then they told her that she was the suspect in a theft crime. She got all nervous, and then the police officer pulled out a picture of me and told her, you stole this man's heart. Oh, no. (laughs) Then I got out of the back of the cop car and dropped the knee. She liked it. Did she? Does she like it that you said I dropped the knee? Oh my god! I, I don't like this. I don't like I, any part of that. I don't. I don't like it either. And also, like that's like a waste of taxpayers' money and time. <laughs> 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 okay, I'll do one more. Okay. okay, my ex cheated on me. We broke up, spoke some, and decided to quote unquote work on it. It had been at that point a two year relationship, and just a week away from Valentine's Day. I refused to sleep with him again until he got tested. I didn't think he actually had something. I didn't think he actually had something. He did an incurable something. He came over, told me I cried. I said something to the effect of, if I have this, I'm ruined for anyone else. And then he said, well, if you have the STD, do you want to just get married? Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Because then then they both have the STD together. No, it just ended right there. Oh, (laughs) I'm assuming she said no. 
I hope. Well, she said my ex. So yeah. Okay. Okay. So there you have it. Man, that was a good one. I I love a listicle. So Jen, for my quickie, you know how I like to do stories about couples who get caught having sex? Yeah. Well, that's what I'm doing this week. So many of them. I know it's been a crazy week, like not just the world, but uh, like also personally. And so I was like, what's, how can I find a quick quickie? <laughs> I was like, I know. Couple gets arrested. This and always. It, it'll fill itself in. <laughs> yep. Uh, I got my information from metro.co.uk by Tanvir Man. This was actually, they did not get arrested, but this happened a couple years ago. So passengers on a Ryanair flight from Manchester to Ibiza, Ibiza were Ibiza. shocked when they found out that a man wasn't joking on the flight when he shouted out to ask if anybody had a condom. The onlookers described seeing this woman taking off her underwear while the man pulled down his pants and shouted, anyone got a jelly? Which I think is condom, because it, it says condom in parentheses. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I, think, I mean, it's, no, just it's like, like the sandals we used to wear in the 1980s. <laughs> Anyone have any like like clear jellies <laughs> or like jelly bracelets? Like, I want to be really cool when we get off the plane. Um, one woman who saw this happening said, "We all laughed, but ten minutes later, they actually did it. They seemed so drunk. They brought a, brought a lot of attention to themselves. You could see her. They, she says she started riding him, which I ugh. Um, uh, right in the middle of the seats. Like they didn't go to the bathroom. No." Oh, my God. And she said, I had to get my phone out. I had never seen anything like that. Um, A woman was next to them, and she stood up and asked if she could be moved. About 20 minutes after after it happened, someone complained about it, but the crew did nothing. I don't know. Have you ever flown Ryanair? It's like – I've never um, even heard of Ryanair. So it's it's a – uh, Irish or Scottish airline, but it's a budget airline. It's like a, um, okay. like a spirit airline. So it's like, I'm not surprised that they were just like, shit happens, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. like, going in, whatever. Ryanair released a statement after this came out, just said, we're looking into the matter. And of course, because they were doing this in, you know, just in front of everyone, there's a video and it went viral. And so people were actually able to identify the couple. And it turns out that the guy is engaged to someone who is not the woman he's with on the plane. Oh my and, god. Or was engaged. I, I don't know. He was trying to get caught, man. And uh that woman that he was engaged to was six months pregnant oh, at the time. No, he was trying to get caught. This is what happens like when especially when guys have a baby on the way, mm-hmm. they like they just fucking sabotage. Like that just sounds yeah. to me like he was just trying to be like, hey, everybody, look at right. me. Take some pictures. Yeah, what like I'm too, I'm too drunk to know what happened, but yeah, yeah. Oh my um, God. The woman in the video, uh, who his his partner, his making love partner, uh, <laughs> apparently had never met the guy before, sitting <gasps> next to him on the plane, and has said that she is mortified that the video went viral, and made a statement that she was merely giving the man a lap dance, not having sex with him. So, right. There you go. I don't know what has happened to them afterwards, but uh, I have to imagine that maybe he's not married to that lady. Um, I hope so. I really hope so. But 
You just really never know. You never know. You never know. So that's my quickie. Mm. Oh, man. That's crazy. That's That's crazy. The, the, The woman at home. Hey, Sally. Hey, Jen. Are you ready for a crazy story? I am. Is it a good one? It's pretty it's pretty wild. Okay. Yeah. It's Love. um yeah. My sources come from an article for Mercury News by Joshua Melvin, an article for the Daily Journal by Michelle Durand, an article for the San Francisco Gate by John Cote. It has a thing on the E. Okay. It's Cote. <laughs> and then um, Cote, <laughs> uh, an episode of Who the Bleep Did I Marry? <laughs> and then an also an article for the East Bay Times, but it does not say who wrote it. Okay. Nobody. So in 2002, Joy December was a newly divorced single mother to two small children. They were about toddler aged. She was 28 years old. She was a strong and independent woman. She was putting herself through college. Having been divorced, she really wasn't looking for a relationship, but her friends Mm -hmm. kept pushing her to meet someone, you know, and they kept urging her to try online dating. So she decided to give it a shot. And um, she originally was not impressed with the guy she was meeting online, as most people are. are Yeah. <laughs> but finally, she came across a man named Joseph Kua, who seemed different. You know, um, he was he was older. He was forty eight years old. He had a good degree. He was a commercial real estate broker. He seemed established. He was well off financially. She said that he was smart, but also really funny. You know, just like a really easy person to talk to, and he really piqued her interest. And she found him to be really exciting, and she just loved talking to him. And now he lived in North um, California, and she lived in San Diego, which is in Southern California. So there was Mm -hmm. about an eight-hour distance driving-wise in between them. So after like a whole month of them just going back and forth and chatting, Joseph finally made the drive down to see her. Um, I'm always surprised by people who meet online but live so far apart. Like, I I don't even know if I would date someone that lived across town. (laughs) I know. Like, like in New York, people are always like, oh, it's like long distance if somebody lives in Queens and the other person lives in Brooklyn. It's like, it's un, that's not doable. But eight hours, like, I don't, where's this going? I know, like I, I, California is a huge state. I would just keep it in my little, I don't know. But again, you know, there may, it it sounded like there were slim pickings out there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they went out on a date and they totally hit it off. Just great conversation. He was very attentive towards her and, and romantic. And they started dating naturally. And then after a while he met her children and she just loved how good he was with them. Like he, he just loved her kids and he, yeah. He would teach them things and kind of took on that father type role, which they never really had. Um, I can imagine that that is would be very attractive if yeah. you're a single parent, and then you have someone who is like really good with your kids. That would make you really like it would make you attach to them more than maybe yeah. you normally would. Yeah, totally. Um, if you see your kids love them, you know right. what I mean. That's a huge, huge 
turn on because you know he was very well off and had a lot of money he would you know spoil also them a, a bit turn too on. which also helps <laughs> <laughs> so he so he was a commercial real estate broker but he was very kind of hush about the specifics of his job uh-huh. and when joy asked him about it um i feel like you already know where this is going <laughs> uh, when we've done enough of these uh when joy asked him about it he just kind of told her that he doesn't you know i don't really like to mix my business with my personal life. Like, listen, I make a lot of money and that's kind of all you need to know. And, you know, my job mm-hmm. is stressful and I don't like talking about it outside of work. And so she just kind of let it go because everything else in the relationship was so great. Just, yeah, I don't need to know. I don't know what my husband does all day and I don't really need to know. <laughs> I mean, same. Work-wise. <laughs> like when people were like, what does your husband teach? I'm like, you should ask him. Yeah, he'll tell you. <laughs> same reason that nobody knows what Chandler Bing's job is. You yeah, don't really need to know. You don't need uh, to know. It's it's not worth it's knowing. a job. <laughs> so everything was going really great in their relationship. And then by that fall, they started talking about getting married. And it doesn't say anywhere that there was any kind of proposal, but they just started talking about getting married. And that's mm-hmm. when they decided that they were gonna get married and have a small ceremony in that June in Kauai, Hawaii. Which nice. is where he was raised. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Anywhere sounds amazing right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go to Chili's. That sounds great. Um, we were, ben and I were just talking. We we're like, man, don't you just kind of, you just kind of like wish you could go to like Red Lobster? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that would be amazing. I'm like, I would never go to Red Lobster normally, but doesn't that sound fun? <laughs> Those Cheddar Bay biscuits. <laughs> oh, um, you know what we were talking about is the, actually, we, we were talking about Cheddar's. Have you ever been to a Cheddar's? I've, Driving back from Florida once with my uh, cousins and my mom, I think we like the hotel we were staying at was next to a Cheddar's and it was real Uh late and we're like, let's just go to the fucking Cheddar's. And then we like (laughs) walked across the parking lot and they were uh, closed or they weren't taking any more tables. And we're like, God damn it. Guess we'll go to the gas station. (laughs) There was one, there was a Cheddar's where near where we lived in West Virginia and Ben and I used to call it straight face cheddars, where we would basically be like, instead of straight face chicken, like every time we passed it, I'd be like, do you want to go to cheddars for dinner? And he, it, like, we were waiting for one of us to say yes. Oh, okay. And then we finally went there. And you know what? It's fine. It's totally fine. It's totally <laughs> like a Chili's. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> It sounds delicious. Yeah. Um, go to a Cheddar's right now. Okay. Sorry. Like, yeah. I don't um, know how that happened. <laughs> I don't know. We're, we're having a weird week over here. Um, so it was going um, – so they were going to go get married in Kauai, Hawaii. It was going to be a very small ceremony. Just her parents and Joseph's two friends, no family members of his, just his two friends, his uh, longtime business partner and friend, 75-year-old Ferdinand Wagner and his wife, Susan. Like I said, they weren't just business partners. They were longtime friends. The Wagners were a very wealthy couple that had moved here from France. They were restaurateurs and also in commercial real estate. They never had any children, so they treated Joseph like their child. And in fact, Joseph told Joy that when the Wagners passed away, they were going to actually leave their trust to him. Um, All right. They were that close. Yeah. But four months before the wedding could take place, Joy and Joseph found out that they were expecting a bebe. All right. And they were thrilled, you know, but they decided to postpone the wedding just so that Joy 
could fit in her dress and enjoy herself at the wedding and stuff, which I totally get. She would have been five months pregnant at the time. And going to Hawaii five months pregnant for a wedding just doesn't yeah, and as fun. <laughs> and if you're an adult and you already have kids, like there's no need to like get married for the sake of the, you know, so the kid doesn't yeah. know or nobody knows you were pregnant before. Like who cares? Yeah, who cares? Exactly. Do it when you want to do it. So they ended up buying this gorgeous five-bedroom home in San Diego, and they started their new lives together and were awaiting the birth of their baby. And on October, in October of 2003, they finally gave birth to a beautiful baby girl, and they named her Kauai after the place that they were going to get married in Hawaii. And so, which is a pretty name. And so with the new baby, I feel like you're silent, like you don't agree that that's a pretty name. <laughs> Look, I think it's a name. I think it's British. <laughs> <laughs> name shamer. And so. I did. I said I'm nothing. Kidding. I'm I said kidding. nothing. So. Um, yeah, I think with, it's a dumb name. <laughs> you're the worst. Um, so with the new baby. They realized that going all the way to Kauai to get married was going to be pretty difficult, you know. So instead of getting married, plus it's in- like going to like a concert and wearing the concert <laughs> shirt. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Well, like you can't is- go to like Kauai with your baby Kauai, you know. It's like a little. Oh my god, I didn't super even think fan. about that, but that is <laughs> so true. So instead of getting married in Hawaii, Joseph. Two months later, surprised Joy by flying her parents out, and they plan- and planned a trip for them to get married in Vegas. So she was thrilled, and on December 18, 2003, Joseph and Joy were married. And the first year of their marriage was total bliss. They were very happy. She got a job as an auto adjuster, and he was still making a lot of money doing commercial real estate. So they went mm-hmm. on like lots of nice family trips. They had boats, two Ooh. boats. Boats. Boat I know. People. But with his job, he was still working a lot in Northern California. So he was away a lot. And that's always hard on a family. Or is yeah, it? when you have a that newborn. sounds kind of nice right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, I've had uh, Ben wishes that we still had the days when I traveled, traveled 25 weeks a year. <laughs> I know. But at, you know, it was very hard on their relationship because his work schedule was so crazy. So he started to seem weird about some things, you know, like there was only certain hours of the day that she was allowed to call him, which uh-huh. is weird. But whenever she expressed these these red flags to her friends and stuff, they would all be like, but you're so lucky. Look at this life that he provides for you. Such a great dad and he's such a good husband. She was like, yeah, well, maybe she shouldn't be so nitpicky. Like she kind of felt that way. Like it might, you know, right. but no, like listen to your gut. Yeah. She knew something was weird and she was fucking right. Because mm-hmm. in January of 2005, she gets a random phone call from a woman who tells her that she is actually Joseph's domestic partner. They had signed a domestic partnership agreement, which in California is considered the same as marriage. Yeah. I had a feeling there might be a second family. Yeah. She said that they had been together for the past two years, which is about the same amount of time that her and Joseph, that Joy and Joseph were together. What? Uh, maybe a little less. She said that Joseph had told her that Joy was just a drug addict that he had a one night stand with and got her pregnant. And okay. so, yeah, motherfucker. Motherfucker. So 
obviously, once the woman talked to Joy for a few minutes, she realized that Joseph was full of shit. But when Joy called him, call him out on this, he didn't hide it at all. He totally admitted to it. And he acted like it was Joy's fault. Yeah. I know. Like things are easier when I'm with her because she doesn't have all these kids running around. I would murder him. Yeah. Murder. Yeah. And so he totally admitted to it and blamed her for having his child. And so anyway, so Joy wanted a divorce, but he wanted to stay married. He wouldn't let her leave. He told her that if she left him, he would fight her for custody of of all of the children, not just his daughter, but the other two children as well. And he said that he would probably win because he has- All of the money. All the money. I don't know if that would be true or not just because he has the money, but that stuff is so scary. Like when your children are your world, I totally understand her not wanting to risk that. Right. And when I mean, you know, and she has a new baby. I mean, she has a baby and yeah. like, it's just, yeah, that is, uh, it, it's easier to be like, just get out of there. Than- <sighs> yeah. So she <sighs> pretended that she was compliant and staying in the relationship. But in the meantime, she was squirreling away like little bits of money, a hundred dollars here, $50 there at a time. And she would mail it to her mother to save up for a divorce lawyer. She was trying to get out, but in the meantime, she knew that she had to lay low and act like the happy wife. And so that June, Joseph was supposed to take their daughter, Kauai, to visit Joy's parents in Des Moines, Iowa. Now, Joy's parents already knew that he was a shitbag, but they wanted to keep a good relationship with him for the sake of like, they wanted to see their granddaughter. You know what I mean? And, and, And they wanted to make things easier on her on on their on their daughter joy and so they were still going to let him come visit or whatever but he ended up having to cancel last minute he said that there was an issue with a bounce check and that he needed to go to northern california to take care of it now who has to go take care of a bounce check by driving to the bounce check i have no fucking idea like do you have a phone do you have the internet (laughs) then let the bank handle that shit like it's just crazy but anyway so he ends up he ends up going on this trip and so then on june 14th 2006 at about 7 p.m., Joy gets a phone call from Joyce, uh, from Joseph, from Joseph. He was <laughs> on his way home from his trip and he te- gives her some horrific news. He told her that his friends, Fernand and Susan, were both dead. He said that they had been shot during a home burglary and he told them that he received the news from their nephew. But Joy Joy was hysterical, you know, like so upset, yeah. asking a million questions. What do you mean? What happened? This is awful. But she said that Joseph didn't sound that upset though. And, but she thought to herself, well, maybe he's in, in shock. I'm sure it'll hit him when he gets home. Right. But when he got home, he just had a bag of fast food in his hand and then he sits down and eats the fast food and then he goes over to a computer and he sent the family like an I'm sorry for your loss email and then he just got up and went to the gym and okay. like – and so Troy thought that was weird but she went to sleep and then he eventually came in and lay down next to her and went to sleep. But so when she woke up the next day and Joseph was sleeping next to her, she looked over and saw that he had all these black and blue bruises all over his hands. And that one of his hands was swollen to the point where she said it looked like a Mickey Mouse hand and Uh it was bleeding. And she was like, what the fuck? Like she knew something was wrong. 
Right. And back in Millbrae, California, which is where Susan and Fernand live, the police are now trying to figure out who killed the Wagners because their bodies were discovered during a wellness check. The scene was absolutely horrific. 78-year-old Fernand Jean Wagner died from a combination of blunt force injury and a six inch cut across his jugular vein. And then he had like a bunch of blunt injuries and skull fractures. And then Suzanne Wagner had multiple injuries associated with strangulation and skull fractures. And then she, and this is hard to say, she was discovered wearing only a bra and she had a five to eight inch cut from her vagina to her rectum. Oh my God. No, it's horrific. Horrific. They said that the home had been staged to make it look like a robbery, but there was like everything, you know, everything was turned upside down, all the drawers were pulled out, but there was no sign of forced entry, forced entry. So they knew that this had to be a personal attack because it was so bloody and uh, it just feels so terrible for them. So when Joy ended up asking that next morning when she saw all the injuries on Joseph, she asked him about the cuts and bruises. And he told her that the bruise on his shin was from rollerblading. And that, yeah, okay. And then the bruise on his hand was from a fridge falling on him. Like, what the fuck? So needless to say, (laughs) He's like a cartoon character. (laughs) I know. And so, so needless to say, Joy knew something was not right. But she had to like... She didn't want to spook him because she was afraid that he might hurt her or the kids. So he kind of, she kind of went about there the the day with him. Like they had yeah. plans to go meet on their boat, and so she was driving separately from him. She was driving with the kids in a car to go meet him on the boat when her mother calls her in a panic, and her mom holds up the phone to the TV and there's a news story playing in the background about the Wagner's murder. But on the news, they're talking about how he, they had been bludgeoned to death. And if you remember when Joseph told joy that his friends had been murdered, he told her that they had been shot to death or shot, not beaten to death. So when she heard this, she knew Joseph had something to do with it. So she had her mother call the tip line and oh. and she had to go act normally and meet him on the boat. Wouldn't you just keep driving? You know, I'm a little confused by that too. I'm trying to not judge her. Actions, no, that's true. You know, I mean, I, I might be in shock too, but yeah, I right. think that she would just disappear. But I guess she was just wanted to wait until he was like officially arrested. So. Right. After the their day on the boat, he told her that he needed to go out of town again for work. And once he left, though, so when she knew he was out of town, she went straight to the police and told them everything. And they told her, oh, we already know that he's involved and we're headed to arrest him. And so there was already like an APB out for him. And so they found him at another, a different marina in Southern California, and they arrested him. And he was charged with two counts of first degree murder with special circumstances for multiple murder. So why would he do this? Why would he murder his good friends and business partners that were like family to him? I'm and guessing this money might come as a shock to you. <laughs> but it turned out that Joseph was not who he said he was. What? Um Jen? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. He was not a real a commercial real estate broker, and he uh-huh. was not Fernand's business partner. He was their employee. They owned properties. He was, I guess, their property manager, essentially, but they only paid him $525 a month just to collect rent and do some maintenance work. And then they, apparently they also gave him a free apartment. And okay. so he had been skimming money from the rent checks and hiding money over the years. And apparently he had embezzled more than $200,000 from the Wagners. Now, so this doesn't sound like enough money to support their lifestyle. Right. But he, what he was doing was he had over $110,000 worth of credit card debt. And so what he was doing with the money from the Wagners that he was bezeling was paying the minimums to keep the credit lines open. Right. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. kind of like, it was all a juggling act. Right. And so uh, apparently the Fernand and Susan had found out about that he was embezzling money from them and they couldn't, um, it's assumed that they confronted him about it and then he attacked them. And so he, you know, he murdered them because he knew that, you know, his life was going to be over. Oh, um, so, so sickening. I know. He had also had, it's so heartbreaking. And so he had also had a previous arrest arrest for petty theft. He had falsified income statements for taxes. Um, like I said, he was hundred over $100,000 in credit card debt. And then because of this, when he was arrested, all of his debt was left on joy because oh they were married. And their house was foreclosed on and their cars were repossessed. I'm sure they had no more boats. Right. And boats. This is all left on for Joy to deal with. And so, of course, he pled not guilty because he's a psycho. But DNA did show evidence of his blood in the house on the victims. Like, DNA proved that he was the one that did it. It was an open and shut case. And so yeah. on June 27, 2008, he was found guilty and convicted on two counts of murder, sentenced to two life sentences without the possibility of parole. And he still, to this day, maintains his innocence. Um, because he would, because he's a psycho. And so Joy ended up divorcing him in March of 2009. And now uh-huh. she lives in Des Moines, Iowa with her two children from the previous marriage. And then also her do- daughter that she had with him. She says I mean, that, I, you, that's, yeah. Ooh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's doing well, like last checked in on her. She said that, you know, she's not interested in dating or getting married or anything like that because on the show she said i'm not interested in dating or getting married or anything like that or becoming serious with anybody i think my children are significant enough and that's how i think i'm going to live the rest of my life and then in 2007 joy december and a woman named jolene path who are two west des moines women co-authored a book together called what did i do which is stories from children whose parents are incarcerated Stories from the hearts of children whose parents are incarcerated. Yeah. uh, Where 19 Iowa children contributed to the book and they distributed it free for children um, just to kind of help other children whose parents are in jail. Which, you know, I love goes through something so horrific. They still find a way to turn it into light. Right. Like make it meaningful. and Yeah. Yeah. And I really hope that her and her children are thriving. She seems like such an amazing woman. And just from what I've seen, just looking up 
online, it looks like her children are not. I didn't like Facebook stalk her children. Right. <laughs> like, but I like saw they took this really cute selfie on Christmas. And <laughs> pictures of them with the book and stuff. <laughs> they look they look like great kids and like they're doing well. So um Yeah. You know, and I'm I mean it's amazing that she is like future. Yeah. It's amazing that she's feels strong enough to tell her story and to yeah. do something with it. That's yeah, that's yeah. a lot about her resilience and and that so. bodes well for her children. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a crazy, that's a crazy story. That's a yeah. kicks yeah. you in the gut. Sure does. Hey Jen. Hey Sally. Are you ready for a love story? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got yeah. a good one today. It's okay. uh, there are some ups and downs. Oh. There's some all arounds. <laughs> We're gonna go on a roller coaster, but we are going to Happy Town. I promise. Okay, I promise. And not only are we just gonna go, are we going to Happy Town in this story? But this is, uh, I'm gonna like in honor. This is in honor of the upcoming inauguration and the close to our four year long national nightmare. So I am gonna do the love story of America's hottest couple. Dr. Jill and President-elect Joe Biden. Oh, nice! Yeah, so like as a country, we're literally going to Happy Town in just oh. uh, just a week or so, two weeks. Love it. Uh, we're all counting down the minutes. So mm-hmm. okay, okay. So I got my information from um, the Washington Post, an article by Joe Scarborough, Oprah Mag, Oprah Mag, I think it's just Oprah, Oprah Magazine by mm-hmm. Mackenzie Jean Philippi, Time Magazine article by Dr. Jill Biden. Vogue magazine by Alexandra Macon and the LA Times by Gnome Levy. Nice. Okay. So, all right, we're starting with a sad part. So when he was just 29 years old, uh, I think we all know that Joe Biden lost his first wife, his college sweetheart, Nelia Biden, and his one-year-old daughter, Naomi, when a tractor trailer slammed into their station wagon in 1972. And Joe said about the tragedy, he, he said, six weeks after my election, My whole world was altered forever. While I was in Washington hiring staff, I got a phone call. My wife and three children were Christmas shopping. A tractor trailer broadsided them and killed my wife and killed my daughter. And they weren't sure that my two sons would live. The boys spent months in the hospital. He was actually sworn in as a senator in the hospital at his boy's bedside. And he said, the incredible bond I have with my children is a gift I'm not sure I would have had had I not been through what I went through. But by focusing on my sons, I found redemption. And the writer Richard Ben Kramer wrote in his book, he wrote a book about the 1988 presidential campaign. He said, Joe didn't want anyone else raising his kids. He was there every night, every weekend. They had stories at bedtimes, games of catch on the lawn, outings, trips, places to go. The boys never saw the air out of Joe's lungs. Not once. He would not allow it. So as as he started his political career, Joe made it a rule that he would be home for dinner in Delaware every night. Even when he was in Washington, he came home on the train every night. We've all seen, I think, a lot of during the campaign um, talk about that. Uh, They said the rule in his office was that if the boys called, Joe was interrupted. No matter what he was doing or who he was talking to, he was never out of communication with them. So three years after the tragic accident, Joe's brother Frank decided that it was time for Joe to start dating again. And he had met this woman, Jill, at a party. And so Frank said, I'm going to set you up with this woman, Jill Jacobs. Jill was 24 and she was in her last year of college at the University of Delaware. And 
Jill says that the first words she ever spoke to her future husband were, how did you get this number? Because <laughs> he had called her out of the blue. Uh, this was 1975, but she agreed to a date. And neither of them at the time was really thought they were interested in anything serious. Mm-hmm. Jill had been married when she first got into college and she had divorced a year earlier. And she was really not over the pain of that marriage not working. And plus, she was just about to graduate and begin her career as a teacher. And she was always very career minded. Jill says that when Joe came to pick her up for their first date, she says, I was a senior, I've been dating guys in jeans and clogs and t shirts. And he came to the door and he had a sport coat and loafers. And I thought, God, this is never going to work not in a million years. (laughs) Uh, He was nine years older than I am. But we went to see a man and a woman at a movie theater in Philadelphia. And we really hit it off. When we came home, he shook my hand. Good night. I went upstairs and called my mother at 1am and said, Mom, I finally met a gentleman. Aww. I know. So the two told each other that this was just fun. They weren't heading towards anything serious. But of course, things were getting serious, even though they were like not saying that to each other. Uh And eventually, Jill met Joe's young sons, Hunter and Bo, who were six and seven at the time. And they hit it off immediately. She was, they loved her. She loved them. And in fact, the boys were the first ones to suggest that the two get married. Bo and Hunter, I know, isn't that cute? They brought up the subject to their dad while he was shaving one morning. And uh, Joe actually wrote about it in his in his book. He said, finally, Hunter spoke up. Bo thinks we should get married. And Joe said, what do you mean, guys? Bo? Well, Bo said, we think, you should, we think we should marry Jill. What do you think, dad? I Aww. think it's a pretty good idea, I told them. I'll never forget how good I felt at that moment. That is so cute. It's really cute. I love that he's like, we think we should marry Jill. <laughs> it's very cute. So so Joe oh, proposed. That must be like such an amazing feeling as the potential stepmother. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But Jill didn't know anything about – she didn't know any of that. The first time Joe proposed, he just said, I want us to get married. And Jill said it really wasn't a big – big deal. It was like an ordinary conversation on an ordinary day. She already knew that he wanted to get married, so it didn't come as a surprise. But she says, he also knew that I wouldn't say yes. Because Jill said that after the disappointment of her divorce, she said, I never wanted to feel so out of control again. But in the months that Joe and I were dating, the desire ran up against a new reality. I was falling in love. But when Joe asked her to marry him, she wasn't ready. She wrote in her book, marriage meant something different to me by that point. I knew that it was harder to unite two lives than I had imagined growing up. I knew that relationships could be fragile. I knew that no matter how much I tried, there would be so much that I couldn't control. If I gave Joe my whole whole heart, he had the power to break it. What if he changed his mind? What if it didn't work? What if I took another chance and I was left humiliated? What if I failed? So she ended up saying no. And a few, I know, a few months later, Joe proposed again. And he said, this time he said, Jill, I love you. I want to get married. I want the boys to have a mother to make our family complete. But she still wasn't ready. And she was very open with him about all this. And she says it wasn't just the fear of getting her heart broken because, you know, after some time she would become secure in this love that Joe and the boys had for her. But she said, 
I was launching my career and planning for graduate school, and then I had staff calling to schedule dates with my boyfriend around his insane Senate schedule. I was being pulled in so many directions. I knew that if I married Joe, I'd have to give up my apartment, the only space that was just for me. I'd have That's to quit the my job. Part it's giving up yeah. your own space, <laughs> right? I mean, and going and it's like not just she's just out of college, she's in graduate yeah. school, she has her first teaching job, and then all of a sudden she's going to be a mother to these two kids and the wife of a senator and. And it's just a very different reality. So she thought I'd have to give up my job for the boy's sake to give them time to acclimate to having someone new in the house every day and not just on weekends. And I'd have to become Jill Biden, Senator's wife. It was all just too much. Mm-hmm. But Joe kept trying. He asked for a third time and then a fourth time. And she still said, not yet. She wasn't afraid of marriage after two years together. But she writes, I knew I could marry Joe. He was a good man and a caring partner. And I was unquestionably in love with him. He would make a great husband. And in the unlikely event that something went wrong down the road, I knew I could survive. I was resilient. And she was no longer worried about her career. She said she could now see that Joe was just would always be supportive of her career. He was like encouraging her to go back to school. He would come to the school plays that she would direct. Now her worry was Hunter and Bo. She knew that after all they'd been through, she had to be 100% sure that if she married Joe, it would be forever. Mm -hmm. And then in the spring of 1977, Joe stopped by her apartment on his way out of town to a congressional delegation to South Africa. He'd be gone for 10 days and As he was walking out the door, he turned back to her and said, look, I've been as patient as I know how to be, but this has got my Irish up. Either you decide to marry me or that's it. I'm out. I'm not asking you again. I'm too much in love with you to just be friends. Aww. I know. And Jill said she'd known this moment was come. He'd almost – he proposed almost two years earlier. I like that phrase, got my Irish up. You got my Irish up. I know. Start saying that. (laughs) Can't fuck an Irish up. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably how he said it, too. (laughs) (laughs) That's how my Irish family would say it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, Jill was like, I knew this was. I knew this was it, right? So Joe Mm -hmm. said, when I come back, I need an answer, yes or no. You don't have to tell me when. You just have to tell me if. And she told him, okay, and then he was gone. And the moment he got home from his trip, he immediately went to her apartment. He opened the door, and as he stood in her foyer, even before he sat down, he said, I want to know your answer. And this time her answer was yes. Oh, yeah. And Jill says, Joe looked her straight in the eye and said, I promise you, your life will never change. So the couple were married on June 17, 1977, at the United Nations Chapel in New York City with only family there. They had just under 40 people at their wedding. Bo and Hunter accompanied them at the altar because it was their marriage, too. Joe wrote, the way they thought of it, the four of us were getting married. In June of 1981, Joe and Jill welcomed a daughter, and her brothers got to choose her name, and they named her Ashley. Oh, that is so cute. Um, my of course, kids, yeah. <laughs> if I let Sully name Louise, her name would have been like Tomater. Right. <laughs> oh, man. If I, yeah, Max like, would be McQueen. Like, <laughs> kitty, kitty, meow, cutie. <laughs> <laughs> He's always like makes up names for pets that he would love to have. And they're all, it's always kitty, lovey, cutie. <laughs> okay. He's so cute. All right. So, As we all know, the Bidens 
together have had their more than their share of tragedy and hard Mm -hmm. times. In 1987, Joe decided to run for president and Jill was supportive, but he actually quickly left the race after questions were raised about that he didn't attribute some quotes that he used in a speech. And so he feared that he would, people would consider him like a cheat. And so he thought it was going to tarnish his reputation. So he actually dropped out of the race and wow. right around that time, he started having, which is just like, it seems like such a, <laughs> like now you're like, really? That's I know. why you dropped out of the race? Like, oh my God. Okay. He started having regular headaches and he like so much so that he would always carry around this big bottle of Tylenol. He started feeling a pain in his neck. In his 2007 book, Promises to Keep, he describes passing out in a hotel room in Rochester, New York in February of 1988. He says he felt a lightning flashing in my head. And then a rip of pain like I'd never felt before. He was unconscious for five hours. Oh, my God. Yeah. So he flew back to Wilmington the next day despite feeling weak and sick. And right after he got home, he was taken to the hospital and tests showed he had a brain aneurysm. <gasps> he was told that his chance of survival from the surgery, because he would have to have surgery for it, was less than half. And even if he lived, he might have physical and lim- mental limitations. A priest delivered his last rites. His boys were called to be by his bedside. Oh, my God. And uh, Joe Scarborough, also known as Morning Joe, wrote in an op-ed that from his bedside, Biden let his boys know that he didn't need to see them grow into men to know that he would be proud of them. He was proud of them already. Joe was rushed into surgery. When the surgeons cut into Biden's head, the aneurysm exploded outward and was clamped immediately. Had it gushed in inward toward his brain, he would have been dead instantly. Oh, my God. But he survived. And he recalled being completely isolated during his recovery, which was a decision made by Jill. Like, part of their marriage is her being this fierce defender of Joe. Mm-hmm. And like she said, no work calls or phone calls. Even when President Ronald Reagan called Biden twice, Jill was adamant about her rule and would not let Biden take the call. In May, he underwent a second surgery for another brain aneurysm, which was a success. And then later that year, as he recovered, he had a pulmonary embolism and had to be rushed to the hospital again. But again, he recovered. And Joe wrote, that year taught me one big lesson. The only things that are truly urgent are matters of life and death. I was no less committed or passionate, but I no longer felt that I had to win every moment to succeed. More important, I understood that every single moment of failure, even one so public and wounding as the end of my presidential campaign, could not determine my epitaph. And through that year, Jill stood strong for him and for the boys. And one story that I really love that came out of the story of his his sickness and his hospitalization is this guy, J.D. Howell, who was a volunteer firefighter in Wilmington, Delaware. And when Biden suffered the brain aneurysm, J.D. Howell was a member of the ambulance crew that rushed him from Delaware to a Washington hospital where the doctors performed that life-saving surgery. And 15 years later, this guy Howell was diagnosed with advanced stage lymphoma, and Joe Biden called him immediately. And Howell said, the man was practically at my doorstep. Joe wrote him in a letter. He said, you wouldn't let me quit on that fateful night, and now it's my turn. And when his fellow firefighters had a benefit for Howell, Joe Biden and Jill Biden came to the benefit to preside over it. And Howell said it was kind of an emotional thing because Joe knows what it's like to be down and out. So 
Joe Biden served in the U.S. Senate until 2009 when he was selected as Barack Obama's vice president. He held the position for two terms until 2017. And during that time, Jill went on to earn two masters and a doctorate in education from the University of Delaware in 2007. Even when Joe was the vice president, she continued to work as an English professor at the Northern Virginia Community College. In 2015, their family suffered another unimaginable heartache after Beau, who was Delaware's attorney general, died of brain cancer at age 46. And this, his death actually is the reason that Biden chose not to run for president in 2016, even though he was favored to win that race. Mm -hmm. But it was Beau's memory that helped Joe enter the 2020 presidential race. A lot of people around him didn't think he was up for it. But Jill Biden, who Joe has credited with helping him dream again, supported his decision, helped him pick up the pieces of his life once again. And as we know, on January 20th, 2021, Joe will be sworn in, Joe, as 2021, Joe Biden will be sworn in as the president of the United States with Dr. Jill Biden at his side. And she is going to continue her work as a professor even after their move to the White House. Their marriage has been a constant source of strength for both of them. Jill wrote in her book, in many ways, Joe's temperament and mine complement each other. He tends to pull me out of my shell, and I help him. I help keep him grounded. He's affectionate enough for both of us. Even now, his staff members laugh about it, joking that the answer to where's the vice president was always, well, where is she? They're Aww. fiercely, I know, they're fiercely protective of each other. During a Super Tuesday rally, Jill protected her husband. Have you seen this video when a protester stormed the stage? It was pretty no. great. Like somebody stormed the stage and she like manhandled him. Um, oh, really? there's also, <laughs> yeah. And uh, there was also a time where there was a heckler at, at a at a rally and she like escorted the guy out herself. And oh. Joe told the crowd at that Super Tuesday rally, she, he said, I'm probably the only candidate running for president whose wife is my secret service. Well, <laughs> you don't screw around with a Philly girl. I'll tell you what. And they're so they're sweet with each other. On Valentine's Day in 2010, Joe actually gifted Jill a tree swing on the grounds of the vice president's resident. The spot is marked by a plaque that reads, Joe loves Jill. Oh, I know. Jill says she thinks about Joe's promise when they got engaged that her life would never change. And she writes, it would turn out to be wildly untrue, of course. Life is change, and our lives would be more amazing and more unbearably difficult than we could have known as we smiled at each other over dinner that night. But she says, one thing in my life has stayed the same. Joe and I have always had each other. Aww. And that's the love story of Joe and Jill Biden. I love that love story. I know. And There's so like much the more to it there story for you to tell this week. Yeah. I'm like, I need it. I need it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just, uh, yeah, that was chip, chicken soup for vegan chicken soup um, <laughs> for my it's soul. Like chicken <laughs> soup for the soul. <laughs> Man. Oh, I love that story so much. And it just, uh, it's such a ray of light on like hope, hope yeah. going into the future and after he's finally sworn in and officially our president and we can officially say goodbye to, to old, that dumb motherfucker <laughs> to old guy yeah mm-hmm. um yeah. man well let's wrap it up let's uh i think All we've right. been going for a while let's do uh, okay. something dumb and something we love 
All right. For something dumb this week, it's pretty obvious, you know, Mm -hmm. the attempted coup and the chaos that is going on politically in our, and and just in our country in general right now. Um, It's just kind of what goes without saying. Yeah. The coup and um, Corona numbers are higher than ever. And I just feel like there's (sighs) so much darkness, but the thing that I love, the lightness that we can, uh, that I feel like we only got to enjoy for just a couple of hours was the fact that Georgia flipped the Senate this, this week. We did it. We have, it happened. The most, one part of that is just so incredible to me was that it came down to DeKalb County, which is like, it felt like the fate of the world rested in Sally and I's County. I know. And, and made, you know what? That made me like, I was like, all right, well, I am confident. I am confident. Then yeah. Because like you walk around our neighborhoods and there is not one house that doesn't have a Warnock or Ossoff or Black Lives Matter yeah. or like love is love sign. Like it's a very liberal area. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so we did it. We uh, we did. I can't believe it. I, I'm, I'm so proud. I'm so proud to be uh, a Georgian, a uh, I'm so proud to be from DeKalb County. And so I'm um, just uh, proud of the work that everyone put in. And, and thank you to Stacey Abrams, which none of this would have been possible without Stacey Abrams. No. Um, and I read so. this, I read this tweet that another organizer from Georgia, uh, another black woman organizer from Georgia who, um, you know, was getting out the vote, registering voters was like, I think people are going to be surprised that there are Stacey Abrams in every Southern state and they have plans. And I was like, yeah. Oh yeah. Love <laughs> yeah. to hear it. <laughs> so um, that's a think, good thing. Yeah. I think good things are on the horizon. We just need to get through some of the murkiness first. So yeah. how about you? What's dumb in your <laughs> life? <Sally>? Everything. Everything. <laughs> you know, it's the the state of the world. Uh also just like personally, I mean not and not personally personally, but like some of my closest people have had some real a couple of real tragedies lately. Mm-hmm. Um I don't want to like specify now that's very vague but it just is you know it's so hard to see someone you love so much go through um such pain such pain and and to be helpless to help you know i mean or to to do anything not have no control over it but so that that is that's dumb it's just the uh, life man it's hard yeah. real hard so that has been dumb this week um the thing that i love is yeah it's also we're not going off winning and the fact that Georgia is sending sending a black man and a Jewish man uh, to the Senate and that um, Georgia yeah, Georgia 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 yeah. <laughs> and I thought all we had was warm hope. weather <laughs> but no oh. um, so yeah it's I think I don't think anything can top that this week yeah. that is mm-hmm. yeah I'm holding on to that I'm holding on to the fact that there are so many good people doing really hard work and that really believe in this country and that change can come in this country. And, um, and that's, that's exciting. Yeah. And, uh, and hopeful. It is hopeful. Um, so we did it. We did it, man. Another Um, up. 
Man, you guys are um, amazing. Thank you guys so much for listening and for sharing. Thank you for spreading the word about dumb love and telling your friends. We really, really appreciate it. And, we do. Um, yeah. We do. We uh, love – We that's like the best way – to grow the podcast is for you guys to tell people, Hey, I have this fun podcast. I love. Um, and that's, uh, that would be, that's so nice. And thank you guys for constantly doing that. Um, you can always email us your love stories or your crazy stories at uh, dumblovepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Dumb Love Podcast. You can rate and review. That would be amazing on whatever platform you listen to. And I hope that you guys have a wonderful and healing week. So do I. And don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love. Dumb, da, dum, 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 dum.